Hello, hello, and welcome. Today, we are going to have some fun looking at my labs, kind of going over some myths that you might have heard from your own doctor. And then we're going to dive into the very controversial iodine. You can hear everything from don't use it to use high amounts. So we're going to break that all down and give you some guidance on what to do with iodine. This is a much requested topic. And then to end, I want to touch on testosterone because we want to dive more into this for guys. Girls too. But for guys, I am seeing such a high amount of low T and high estrogen levels in you men. And this is just not a good situation at all for anyone. It's not good for your family because you're going to be moody and cranky. You're basically going to be in menopause. You know that. So we have menopause. You have menopause. You're going to be moody, cranky, bitchy. You're going to be agitated, snippy, and snappy. You're not going to have a libido. And us females are going to take it personally. You probably have some erectile dysfunction, muscle loss, maybe even some man boobs. So we need to talk about this and y'all need tested to make sure that all of the estrogenic compounds that you are exposed to on a daily basis, including microwaving and plastic and that suave body wash for men, that's a shampoo and a body wash in one for convenience, is raising your estrogen levels. So we're going to dive into that as well. So let's first start off. Well, first of all, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Amy Horniman. I'm a functional medicine practitioner, and I specialize in treating thyroid conditions and diving into some hormones too. So for me, let's talk about my labs. Many of you know that I am on T3 only. So when I go over my labs, I want you to kind of think about this from a T3 only perspective. And of course, I'll explain it too. So T3 only for many, many, many years. And we are seeing more and more patients that do require T3 only because of their response to maybe the fillers and the T4 medication or just simply being a non-converter, meaning you don't convert T4 to T3 properly. What ends up happening is when you take T4, you end up converting more and more of it to reverse T3. So that's going to block T3's action on the cell, and you're going to remain in a hypothyroid state. Not good. Not good at all. So some people are on T3 only like myself, and my story is a a, a trial and error story. Sometimes it's not cut and dry. Sometimes it's not as obvious as, well, you have a high reverse T3, so we're going to put you on, or yeah, high reverse T3, so we're going to put you on T3 only. Sometimes it's not that easy. Sometimes it's a trial and error where we're changing your dose and you're still on that T4 and you're still not feeling good. So maybe we drop it out, and then all of a sudden you feel better. So it's about working with someone knowledgeable, And working together as a team, that's what I do with my patients, so that we can get you to your right medication and dosing kind of tied together all in one. So oftentimes that takes trial and error. Some people are lucky. They have the genetic test done for DIO1, DIO2. There it is. You're a non-converter. Hey, you need T3 only or you need a very, very low dose of T4. But most of the time, it's trial and error, as it was with me. So I went, you know, Synthroid Box. That's what got me started on this path to helping you. Synthroid Box, Armor, T4, T3, Synthetics. That's Riley saying hello to UPS guy. T4, T3, Synthetic, and then eventually T3 only. 
So that was my progression. So if we look at my labs now, okay, are you ready? My latest labs. Now this is 24 hours without taking my medication, just like I tell all of you to do when you are getting your labs done. You want to stop your meds 24 hours before, especially T3. You can get away if you happen to slip up and take your T4 med. Let's say you're taking your T4 at night right before bed and you're taking your T3 in the morning and then again in the afternoon. That's fine. You don't have to skip your labs because you took your T4 before bed. But if you take your T3 accidentally, like the afternoon before your labs, or you take your T3 the morning that you were going for your labs, absolutely not. Absolutely not. You don't do that. Okay. So, my TSH is less than 0.01. Guess what? I'm flagged low. There's a shocker. So again, TSH really doesn't matter, right? When you're on T3 only for 15 years, 12 years, whatever it's been for me, I've lost track. Your TSH is going to go down because remember, TSH is the pituitary hormone. So you're getting that my pituitary is sensing that all is well, and it's pretty darn cool out there in the world of Amy that we have enough thyroid hormone to run this show of a body that we have. So not a problem. Don't even pay attention to it. Free T4. My free T4 is 0.1. Now, I know I always tell you that optimal free T4 levels is 1.5 or above, except when, and this is where the personalization has to come in. This is where it takes working with a qualified, knowledgeable practitioner that knows the thyroid, who is not going to freak out over a low TSH, and who is not going to freak out over a low free T4 because I'm on T3 only. And this will go with those of you who are on a low dose of T4 and a higher dose of T3. So let's say you are one of my patients and I'm not going to name names, but I'm going to talk about you um, in just using your example, who before she came to see me was on high T4 itty tiny little bitty bitty dose of T3. It wasn't doing anything. She stayed in a hypothyroid state. Came to see me. Her reverse T3 was 21. Not converting so well. Of course, we checked all the other markers of conversion. Lower her T4 dose, increase T3 dose slowly over time. Now reverse T3 is coming down. Yay. And free T3 is coming up. And she's feeling better. And she's losing weight. And her life is coming back. And her hair is growing back. So don't really care about her free T4 going down. I forget what her free T4 is, maybe 0.8, something like that. Free T4 going down because she's not taking as much T4. But in that case, we look at her reverse and we look at her free and we say, okay, that's a good picture. So same with mine. Obviously, I'm not taking T4 medication. And with Hashimoto's, my thyroid is slowly being destroyed anyway. So I'm going to be relying on medication the rest of my life. So I'm not taking T4 medication. My thyroid's not really producing too much T4. And well, my, my pituitary is basically null and void in poking my thyroid to produce anything anyways. Don't care. My free T3 and reverse T3 is what's important. My reverse T3 is less than five. Again, hello. Of course it is. Of course it is. I'm on T3 only. The only thing that can convert to reverse T3 is T4. So I'm probably, I'm going to have like a non-existent reverse T3. That's pretty much what it's saying. Of course, it's flagged. Again, it's flagged 
while we do say optimal reverse is less than 12, you have to take each person into account. So again, the patient that I was just talking about, she just had her reverse T3 come back. It is a five. Mine's less than five. Hers is a five. Why do you think? Because we lowered her T4 medication and we increased her T3 medication. Of course, this is going to happen. This is not a problem. This is not a concern whatsoever. We do not need reverse T3 except as a survival mechanism. I would hope that if myself or her would end up, let's say, in the ICU, we would see an increase of reverse T3 because that's what the body does. That's why it just produces it as a survival mechanism to shut down the metabolism. We would also see an increase in TSH because metabolism would shut down, thyroid function would shut down in order to keep you alive. So reverse T3 can go up in those situations, but right now don't really care. Don't really care. Mine's less than five. Hers is five. Not to be messed with. And again, you have to take that person in totality, right? So do not let your practitioner look at a reverse T3 of less than five or five and raise your T4, especially if you were previously converting T4 to a high reverse T3 of 21. That tells us that you're never, ever, ever going to do very well on a higher dose of T4. And guess what? If you're doing well now on a lower dose of T4 and a higher dose of T3, why would we change that just for numbers sake? We don't change medication just because of numbers. We change it because of how you feel. Now, if she was feeling like garbage and nothing was happening, of course, we would dive into that more and say, okay, wait, why is this happening? Oh my goodness, what's going on? Sure, but she's feeling good. We don't touch it. The last thing we do is increase her T4 medication because she naturally does convert more to reverse. We've learned that over the years. She was already through 10 years of hell to a neurocrinologist and a PCP that dropped the ball. So that's the last thing we're going to do is put her back into that frustrated state when we finally have her optimized now. We're getting closer to optimized. Now all y'all are wondering about my free T3. My free T3 in this one is a little bit odd. My free T3 is actually 2.8. And that's a little bit low for me. Normally, I am, because I have been on T3 only for so long, my T3, my free T3 when it comes back is usually actually like a 4.55. So it's actually flagged high, but that's just because even with that 24-hour no medication gap, it still can go a little bit high um, in my labs. So here's where we're going to be moving into our next topic of iodine. So the reason why I believe that I'm at a 2.8 for my free T3 is because my iodine, let me scroll to it, bear with me. It's in here. It's in here. Well, it's low. I'm just going to tell you it's low. Um, My iodine is six. So I'm actually flagged with a little L. Reference range 52 to 109 in this lab. That's what it usually is for most labs. So I am a six. Iodine. So iodine is necessary for your thyroid to function properly. It is, I've turned this over and over again. This is what I call it. I have another video on this. It is the Goldilocks mineral. You don't want too high. You don't want too low. You want just right. So I, my theory for myself 
is that my iodine's a little bit low, so therefore my T3 is just a little bit low. I still have a thyroid. It's still producing things. I still need to, to kind of feed that a little bit in order to get everything working properly, uh, but my iodine is a little bit low, so I'm going to start substituting with iodine. You know, the funny thing is, is that I don't test on myself the things that I want tested on you. So finally, I go see my nurse practitioner. It's part of my team. She's amazing. Just so you guys know, that's why we can prescribe for you. So if you do start working with me and you say, yeah, but she can't prescribe. Yes, I can have a nurse practitioner, part of my team. We work together. We jive. We're like soul sisters. It's super cool. Uh, so I said to her, you know, can you do all these labs on me that I always want to see on my patients, but I never get them done on myself. It's kind of like, you know, the plumber that their sinks are always broken, toilets broken, they never fix their own pipes. So yeah, so it's time to look a little bit deeper into my labs. And here I am low in iodine. Okay, the iodine controversy. If you have been a thyroid patient for a while, you know that there is a ton of information on iodine and you can literally drive yourself crazy. You can drive yourself crazy. There is the camp. There is the Dr. Brownstein camp that believes that iodine is fantastic. Higher dose iodine. Now, I'm not quite sure what Brownstein says about Hashimoto's, but we're going to get into that. So you have where iodine got a bad rap in the first place. Were practitioners using high, 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 high doses of iodine to treat goiter. Yes, iodine is needed to shrink goiter. But when we're using high doses of iodine with a patient with Hashimoto's, with TPOE antibodies, iodine can actually cause inflammation that will raise those TPO antibodies. So if you are a Hashimoto's patient and you have TPO antibodies over 100, we want to avoid iodine for the time being until we can get the antibodies down a little bit. We can get that number down a little bit under 100. And then if you are coming back with an iodine, such as myself at a six, then we will start supplementing very slowly, very low dose iodine to get that back up. You have to think of iodine as just, it's like feed for your thyroid. It wants it, it needs it, but we don't want too much and we don't want too little. So the problem with iodine came in when practitioners were using very, very high doses. And what this was doing, it was actually throwing patients. Now, some, a small, tiny portion of patients got thrown into a hyperthyroid state, but that was very rare. And it was usually um, almost like a, like how Graves disease has that thyroid storm. It was almost a, like a mini storm where they just got a thyroid hormone dump. That was only very temporary. Most of the time when we give too much iodine, we see patients actually falling hypo again, possibly experiencing increased hypothyroid symptoms and possibly just seeing that TPO go up or TSH elevate. So that's the problem with using more and more and more iodine. And patients will feel great at first. When you start using iodine, a lot of times people will think that more is better. So they'll start using a little bit and they'll say, you know what? I feel quit my energies up. I'm losing weight. This is fantastic. And then all of a sudden they start to go downhill. And then they start to feel that 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 hypo feeling, that fatigue, that sluggishness, maybe a couple of pounds come back on. So they start to feel that again. That can be from using too much 
That can be from, I mean, it's not to say that they don't need a little bit, but we might just have to back off of the dose and maybe start dosing every other day. So lower the dose and spread it out so that we're still working on getting their iodine level up, but we're not dumping so much of them, so much iodine on them at one time that it's literally causing their their whole HPT axis to freak out and go into a deeper hypothyroid state. So we know that iodine is imperative for T4 to T3 conversion. There's that process called deiodinization. If there's one word in the English vocabulary that Amy Horniman cannot pronounce, it is that one. DIO. Can I just say DIO? Okay. So that enzymatic DIO process that is required to convert T4 to T3 because we are removing an iodine molecule from T4. So that is, it's needed for conversion, but you don't want too much at any one point of time. So how I like to dose iodine, first of all, we have to look at you as a person, right? We have to look at you and say, do you have a six like I do? Um, If you have a six, then hey, we might need to like small dose this out. So what I am doing for myself, um, I'm using iodine synergy by designs for health. And I am actually starting off just to make sure, because remember, I, I don't actually have any symptoms right now. So I feel optimal. So even though my free T3 is not optimal, um, and my, my iodine is a little bit low, I am going by how I feel. I feel fine. I don't want to rock the boat in any way, shape, or form. So because of that, I am dosing um, a little bit, I would say, more more spaced out. So I'm using iodine synergy every third day, actually. So one capsule is um, 10 milligrams of potassium iodine and 40 micrograms of selenomethionine. So that's also needed for T4 to T3 conversion. So it's just enough. It's just enough to kind of feed my thyroid, feed my body, give it what it needs without overdoing it, without overdosing. Um, If I had a patient, which I often see come in at, let's say they are right at that cutoff, they're like a 50, a 52, a 54. Again, we will use it. We might use one capsule per day just to get that up a little bit, get a little bit more iodine in their system and then taper off. And then maybe go every third day, maybe just go twice a week. Just so you're getting it in, you're not pulling it out entirely. I will admit I have not taken iodine for a couple of years because that's just like the plumber's analogy. I take really good care of myself and I've gone through all of my supplements that I'm on. But that one just kind of got pushed by the wayside because, you know, you take so much that you're like, I don't need this right now. Well, sure enough, I do. So I had to add it back in. So we can kind of space it out based on your number on your level and paired up with how you feel, paired up with how you feel. So I just had a patient reach out to me today. We had her on two iodine synergy because she was very, very, very low. We had her on two per day. We dropped to one per day. And now she's actually starting to to fatigue a little bit. We just increased her her T3. We checked. Yes, we checked cortisol. We checked all the factors of T4 to T3 conversion. We just increased her T3 medication and she's kind of feeling sluggish again. So it's kind of the question of, well, 
do we do another T3 increase or let's back off on the iodine first just to see if you're not if t- you're not getting too much iodine that's pushing you into a hypothyroid state. So yes, we do want you to have that iodine in. You were low, you're still low, we're still bringing it up, but it might just be too much all at once. Even just one 10 milligram capsule per day with the selenomethionine, that might be too much for her. So we might have to go to every other day, every third day and see if dropping that out improves her fatigue. If it does, we know it was the iodine. You know, these days with fatigue, you also have to take into account just the general state of the world. Everybody has a lot on their minds. It's a lot of extra stress and pressure. So you have to take that into account when you do kind of say, hey, I'm getting a little bit fatigued. Could it be iodine? Could it be my thyroid med? Could it be this? Could it be that? It might not be any of it. It could just be stress. That you are stressed out because of the state of the world right now. Uh, So we have to kind of break it down and see. But for her, we're going to back off the iodine. We're just going to see what happens and see if that doesn't help balance out her fatigue symptoms at all. And then we can work from there to increase uh, the T3. For those of you taking amiodarone, that is a heart medication. Um, I believe it is specifically for the rhythm of the heart. I'm not a heart specialist, so don't hold me to that. But that contains large amounts of iodine. So if you have a thyroid problem and you are taking amiodarone, you might experience a significant increase in iodine levels, which could then push you into a hypothyroid state. So you might be going along saying, listen, I've been feeling great on this dose of medication for how many years? Now I feel hypo again. What the hell is going on? It could be just be that you're getting too much of a dose of iodine and amiodarone. Get your iodine levels tested. Testing. That brings me to that other controversy. We're going to have a group of practitioners over here that say to do the iodine loading test. Let's see how much you, you excrete. And then that's how we know whether you are deficient or not deficient. We have another group over here, and I'm in the over here group, that says, no, that doesn't even make sense. Because there's no way just giving you a dose of iodine right now and then having you excrete it, it can take days for your body to process it and to push it through. So that makes no sense in measuring how much you excrete and then calling that a deficiency because your body could still be utilizing it. No, we don't go by the old school little patch test where we put the iodine that your mom would run up, rub on a wound on your hand and watch how quickly that absorbs. We don't do that either. Yes, there are problems with serum, but for the most part, we go by the serum level. I mean, if you are flagged low like I am at a six with a little L and a big red box around it, you're probably low. You're probably low. Now, if you're borderline low, then again, we just be more careful about our iodine dosing. (sighs) So much to this iodine controversy, and we could probably go on and on. There's a lot. There's a lot of information out there. Dr. Alan Christensen actually has an hour and 20-minute video where he dives into pretty much every aspect of iodine from the, the, the studies that were from the 40s on iodine to Dr. Brownstein, um, all the controversies surrounding iodine, the iodine loading test. Uh, There is a, what the heck is it? 
wolf wolf something syndrome that he talks about but he ties that to, to the thyroid so if you have an hour and 20 minutes of spare time i recommend checking out dr alan christensen so he really deep dives into iodine but that is my brief version so we can get it covered right here and so that you can know what to do if you are low. And then if you are low and you start supplementing with iodine, you will know what to watch for. If you start to experience hypothyroid symptoms, you might want to back off. You might want to back off. Okay, I'm moving into testosterone. So my own testosterone level. First, I'm going to start with the ladies and I'm going to go with the men. I know we're covering three different things, but see, I'm tying it all together by telling you my labs. My testosterone level is 44. My free testosterone is 2.6. So testosterone total for this range, this is 2 to 45. Um, actually, I've seen ranges vary for free testosterone, total testosterone, especially for women. Some women do great. I think optimal is around 40. That's where I try to get my, my females up to unless they start to experience any kind of androgenic side effects, whether we're using straight testosterone or we're using DHA to get you there. But optimal is right around 40. Some of them can really safely go to 60 or higher. It just depends on the, the female, whether they're working out, where they feel best at. I have one patient right now. I think she does best. Uh, it's higher than it's, it's higher. I want to say she does best maybe in the 80s. And that's where she feels her best. I could be wrong. If you're listening, you can correct me, but I could be wrong. But I want to say she feels better higher. The free testosterone range is 0.1 to 6.4. I'm a 2.6. So I'm still a little bit low on the free. So you can see I'm on the upper end of the total. I'm still a little bit low on the free, which is bioavailable to the body. So I could go up slightly and not. But for the most part, that's a pretty darn good um, testosterone range. We are... Definitely checking pregnenolone in our patients now um, because pregnenolone is a precursor to all hormones. Mine is a 76 on a range from 22 to 237. I am currently supplementing with pregnenolone because that is neuroprotective. So if you come from a family like mine that has Alzheimer's in it, it's a good idea to get your pregnenolone levels checked and also supplement with pregnenolone on a regular basis. So pregnenolone not only plays a role in hormone production, but it also plays a role with your adrenals. So if your adrenals are taxed, it is a really good idea to supplement with pregnenolone because there is such thing as the pregnenolone steal that occurs with adrenal fatigue or just adrenal taxing because all, all of our adrenals are taxed right now. Even if you're not flatlining on a cortisol panel, and some of you are, but even if you're not flatlining on a cortisol panel in the basement, your adrenals are still being taxed because let's face it, we're all a little bit stressed out right now in this world. I don't care where you live on the entire planet, you're going to be a little bit stressed out right now. So pregnenolone is getting taxed. Uh, well, no, adrenals are getting taxed. Pregnenolone will help. My pregnenolone, a little bit low, but I just started supplementing with it again on a regular basis instead of just a couple times a week. So for men, men, your range is huge. You go, most labs, most labs will start at like around 250, go up to 11 or 1200. Optimal levels, unless you're 80, is going to be around 500 or above. Now, depending on your age, that will vary. If you're still in your 30s, you might aim for a, a test level of around 800, 900. It all depends on your activity level, your, your 
Are you working out in the gym? Are you not working out in the gym? So we, we look at that, your total testosterone, and then let's look at your estrogen. We want your estrogen levels low. So let me tell you, my estrogen is, my estrogen total serum is 561. Now I did this test on day 22-ish of my cycle. So ladies, if you are cycling still, you really want to try to get your hormones tested, whether it's estrogen, testosterone, progesterone, pregnenolone. You want to try to get those tested on day 20 to 22 of your cycle. So this was on day 22 of my cycle. I was 561. So men, if you're coming in above a 50 or a 6, that's a problem. So we really want you lower in the estrogen because high estrogen will lower your testosterone. It's like a little seesaw. So if you're coming in high, that's not a good thing. So let's talk about the things that raise your estrogen. Things that raise estrogen, the air that you breathe. We are we have so many estrogenic compounds, and this goes for ladies. If you are in, in an estrogen dominant state, so ladies and men, you can, even if you're not flagged high in your estrogen, ladies, you can still be in an estrogen dominant state. We compare your estrogen with your progesterone. And according to my very knowledgeable nurse practitioner, thank you. Thank you for teaching me this. We want a one to 20 ratio. If you are above that, then you are still considered an estrogen dominant. Even if your little lab result here isn't flagged with a big H and a red symbol. So that can still be elevated and you can still be in an estrogen dominant state if your progesterone is in the basement. My progesterone was not in the basement. Thank you very much. Uh, did I get off on a sidetrack? Yes. So what raises estrogen levels in females and males? I highly recommend the book Estrogeneration by Dr. Anthony J. He deep dives, and I haven't even gotten all the way through it yet, but he deep dives into everything that can be an estrogenic compound. So the obvious, right? The phthalates, the plastics, carrying around a BPA-free water bottle, but it's not really BPA-free. They're using BPAS. They're using BPAS. It still is a bisphenol product, but because it's not A, they get to call it BPA-free. Brilliant marketing. Brilliant marketing. If you are placing your hot foods in your grandma's plastic Tupperware, go out and get some glass. Get some glass. For goodness sake, it's time. Throw away the plastic. Do not go buy the glad storage little containers unless you're bringing cookies to your neighbor at Christmas. That's the only time I want cheap plastic containers in your household. So plastics, phthalates, your body wash, your body lotion, your face wash, your face lotion, the Bath and Body Works spray that you put on your, put it on your clothes. Dudes, spray that Axe crap on your clothes. We like the smell. We don't need to smell it on your skin. You still smell good even with it on your clothes. That is going to seep into your body. That will raise estrogen levels. Having a higher body fat percent, higher estrogen is stored in body fat. If you have a higher body fat percentage, you are going to have higher estrogen levels, which is going to lower your testosterone levels. Plain and simple. Let's see what else. So I did a little post about lavender oil. So ladies, if you're diffusing lavender and you're spraying lavender and you're using lavender soaps, that's probably not a good thing. That is also going to raise your estrogen levels. And we can do a whole separate, and I promise to do this for you. We will do a whole separate episode on just estrogenic compounds and how much is in our world and daily life. 
and what you can do about it. A nice liver cleanse, a detox, there are different detox protocols that we can put you on just depending on your chemical exposure. Let's say you just had your amalgams taken out. We can do a specific detox that will target mercury. But of course, when you cleanse your liver, you're going to lower that estrogen dominant state. You're going to lower your estrogen levels. Men, sometimes we have to use an AI, an aromatase inhibitor that will actually block estrogen. The natural way to do it is by using something like DIM but or indole-3-carbinol, but that can go really, really slow. So if you're a guy with high estrogen, I wouldn't recommend that route. I would go right for the aromatase inhibitors. Ladies, if you're estrogen dominant, we can use something like a DIM or an indole-3 with a nice liver cleanse to bring that down, balance it out with some progesterone, make sure your testosterone's proper and, and optimal. So all of those factors will factor in, and I promise you I will do a separate episode on just estrogenic compounds in and of themselves, because I think it warrants a specific episode on its own. Thank you so much for listening to the Thyroid Fix podcast. As always, please share this with anyone that you know that needs this information, and I guarantee you there's a lot of people out there and in your life who do. Also, please remember that anything that you hear on this podcast is not intended to diagnose or treat. So you always want to check with your doctor about any advice given that you hear on this podcast. And if you would like to book a discovery call, a free discovery call to go over everything that's going on with you and to go over how I can help you, please go to my website at amyhorneman.com. The link is always in the show notes. And click on book a call. Choose a time and a day that's right for you. And we will see how we can help you. Thanks for listening.